0: Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. I was trying to figure out how to best describe today's guest, and this is what I came up with. He is a merchant of happiness. As for the actual details, his name is Peter Shapiro, and he's the man behind not one, but two of New York's best concert venues, Brooklyn Bowl and the Capitol Theater the most notable concert promoter since Bill Graham. He started off his career by buying the legendary Wetlands Preserve when he was barely out of college. Fast forward 20 years, and he put together Fare Thee Well, the 2015 Farewell Concert Series featuring the four core members of the Grateful Dead, along with Fish's Trey Anastasio. He founded the Lockin Festival and the Jammy Awards, and he has worked on multiple events on the National Mall including the 40th anniversary celebration of Earth Day. And that is barely scratching the surface of his accomplishments. I told a half dozen people who know him that we were interviewing Pete today. And every single one of them said, I love that guy. I don't even know him. And I love him. Here's why. I've seen the following artists play at one of Pete's venues. And this isn't even a comprehensive list. Blues Traveler, Blue Rodeo and the Maytals, Galactic, Soul Live, Macy Gray, The Flaming Lips, Bob Dylan, Chris Robinson, Joe Russo's Almost Dead, Robert Plant, John Prine, Bill Burr, Phil Lesh, Eric Krasno Bob Dylan again, and again, and again. Whoa! Like I said, he is a merchant of happiness. Pete has a book, has written a book out this month. It's called The Music Never Stops. What putting on 10,000 shows has taught me about life, liberty, and the pursuit of magic. It's chock full of wonderful anecdotes and life lessons that would be helpful not just to a would-be concert promoter, but to anyone looking to capture some magic in their own life, whatever it is that they do. We're going to talk to him about his excellent book about rainbows and, of course, Bob Dylan. Welcome to the show, Pete.
1: At the present moment,
2: my love, my dear, oh, everything's connected, this life, this world, it's all right now, right here, right now, right here, right now, right here. Right now, right here.
1: That John Prine show was a good one,
0: right? Yeah, that was the uh, first time I ever saw seats in the Capitol Theater.
1: Oh, yeah, we go we go both ways. We, can, we pull them in and we go out and um, we, we can do it. That's one of the great things about the cap, actually, is because like a, a venue like the Beacon Theater, they're permanently in or Radio City or most theaters anywhere around the world. Uh, all the great Fox theaters that are around America, or Chicago theater, you know, and I, they're fixed. So sometimes you want to go, you know, sometimes you want to be able to go either way. Sometimes you want that GA floor. Sometimes you want seats.
0: That's one of the great things about the Capitol. You and you used a term I didn't, uh, I wasn't familiar with. You called it a raked floor in your book, and basically it's a little slanted. It's a little downhill. So anywhere in general admission is a good spot and why why are you the only one who does that
1: well actually it's a great rake i mean some venues have little rakes the cap has a pretty strong rake so like it's great because literally every person on the ga floor holds 1300 on the floor can see the stage and then that means shorter people higher taller people everyone i listen i love going to shows like you and so a lot of what i do putting on the show comes from what how i want to see a show what i want to see and i actually had a formative uh experience seeing a show fish at the vic theater in chicago 1992. uh it's it's not right it's flat but there's several different levels so you know, you you the the front of the stage area has maybe 10, 15 rows and it goes up a couple of feet and then it's another 10, 15 rows of people, and then it goes up again a few feet and goes and that tiered, I'd call that I guess tiers like that to me, because I, I was in the front, the second tier in the first row in the center, standing there, you know, with a half wall little, you know, drink thing and staring right at Trey um and and so that no serious i still remember that just talking about this um so that's kind of had an influence on me a little bit the, the whole brooklyn Bowl thing part of it is seeing a show in those lane the lounge area lanes when you are on those first lanes next to the stage you're getting a point of view that you like if you're at a normal concert venue you'd be like side stage back they'd be like you can't stand here dude and that's even if like your brother was playing maybe the tour manager would be like you got to move but at the ball <laughs> so so anyways you can see you know i'd like to dig in about how to do this stuff
0: and you do it well
1: well there's no other way right we were all screwed i mean you watch what's going on in the world and it's seriously when you you introduce the me and the way you said it and, and 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 hearing that it feels great thank you and it lasts for a little while but then it fades away you know and i happen to be traveling right now and just everything going on in the world you know it'll bring you down and um and i haven't seen a show for me in a few days which is a long time and so i <laughs> i need that energy back again of uh happy, you know we all do because it's like With the way the world and information works, you get get hit by a lot of you need happiness.
0: So there's this great line in your book, uh, which jumped out at me more than any other. You said, sometimes a music venue provides a more important function than offering a stage for a performing artist. It becomes a holy place. And you're talking about, you know, what you were just saying there, like music as spiritual sustenance. So you're not, you're not just putting on shows. You work in the realm of the spirit. How do you think about music and consciousness?
1: You pulled that quote up really well, by the way. Nice job. <laughs> <dude>. I that. <just laughs> it. um,
0: but it's like you work at, you work in consciousness, right? Music and consciousness. Like, how do you, how do you describe what you do?
1: You know, kind of where you were headed. I try to make magic happen, make people happy, um, do it, you know, for the bands also it's like creating a stage and an environment for them to get to do what they do you know i just learned from doing it every night for about 27 years um and like you said the book's called 10,000 shows i the little things all matter a lot you know so i have just have an eye just been doing it so much for how to do you know when something's off actually that that pops more than just on and so for us at the bowl and the cap and all my venues and also when you're doing a fairly well show it's like how do you handle security it's like so there's eighty thousand people soldier field we you know one of the best moves I ever did was putting the security asking to if we could have the security guards at soldier field wear tie-dye shirts they still had the numbers <laughs> and it was official but by the way that makes a difference there's like for that many people, there's probably 800 security, you know, when they're all wearing tie dye shirts, when you walk into that stadium, like that sets a tone from the moment you see the first one, I think, versus a black shirt that just said security, actually a Brooklyn bowl. And I started, we started this at wetlands on the back of the security jacket. It says, welcome. It doesn't say security. <laughs> But these are like the little things that like, and there's lots of little things that need to be done to like give someone walking into the door for a show, you know, a the higher chance that it'll, they'll have a great show. And the same with the band, I, I can't go all the way and guarantee the good show, but my job and then the team and all that is to like set the table, right? for then happiness or magic or the thing to happen then the band has to take over and the fan mm-hmm. has to like uh, you know let themselves get there but i i just learned and part of it was at wetlands my first club um which i took over in 1996 long you know a long time ago now it, it was a challenged venue by just like the basics of like sight lines um <laughs> Sightlines. So you know, at a at a sold out show, you know, seven thirty percent of the people couldn't really see the stage. You know, so right. so but 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 what that caused was like so we had to be better in how we treated every part of it because like our venue bowery ballroom like a perfect venue or uh and there's others in every city that like have the perfect sight lines and 100 percent of the people can kind of can see but at wetlands you go to the bar you go to the basement you meet your wife like or your husband like i meet a <laughs> bunch of people because you know you you can hear it everywhere and we had a great basement lounge where the audio was good But you couldn't so you some certain people would move off rather than try to try to see the stages just kind of at an angle. And and then you would meet people, you'd hang out. So I don't think many people meet meet their wife at Bowery barmer or a perfect venue. You know, because wetlands (laughs) was more a village and a place, it was a great place to go to a show. Wasn't necessarily a great place to see a show. And so I took a lot of those things that we learned to kind of make it a great place to go to a show and then brought that to Brooklyn Bowl and the Cap, which are also great places to see a show. You know, Brooklyn Bowl has the sight lines. It's got some food, you know, it's just got elements with the visuals, the screens enable. And because the whole nature of the bowling thing, we're able to pay bands better and and the bowling thing, we just luckily got a chance to prove, you know, I just did it with my partner charlie ryan on the bowl, and we believed it would work a lot of people told us you know you can't this is not going to work you can't have an a-level real music venue with it and we in accurate. And they, like we cannot do stand-up comedy you know we cannot do a so a tori amos on a piano solo but any kind of band situation you were a Robert plan at the bowl i think or I don't know if it was that one because he actually played the cap too no
0: I saw him at the I saw him at the cap
1: okay but he played the bowl you know but anyways when you have a real rock show you don't hear it and but the bowl that layout enables those visuals of the screens to give us a visual presentation that no other venue its size has and um and, and when you're up there it's amazing
0: On that very note, there's another line in your book that's just where you're talking about where you're just saying, you say, all the little details are important. I try to keep in mind that everything is everything. And um, it reminded me, there's a line from Nisargadatta Maharaj who says, who said, everything is always happening. Right. Right. Which I take to mean, pay attention because it's all happening right now. So details 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 is so it's all preparation for you right get it all ready to go and then let things roll and maybe
1: more so now in 2022 than even like ever before because there's so much swirling around so fast you know um social just our brains are wired like you look at the next generation Uh, And we talk about maybe we can talk about it or not, but like streaming, you know, one of the reasons why like I do a bunch of the live streaming stuff. Nothing's live. Nothing is like the live experience. But I've done a bunch of streaming stuff, film stuff, the world I work in, and and love. And sounds like you too. Our music works well with streaming because each show is different. Right. Bands play different sets each time. So the kids, my child, I have a sixteen-year-old. She can't watch a stream, dude. Like couldn't sit through it. You know, they're on TikTok. they like the pop bands don't stream as well for live stream video, but like, because the audience is so, the younger kids are wired. They can't even sit and watch a full show. Deadheads, no problem watching four out, you know, sitting on the couch, 50 years old, what's up, having a, but <laughs> the kids today can't even watch, you know, it's so fast. And everything is moving so fast, so I, I kind of think like it's it's maybe more challenging, but more but we're on it. You know that's why everything like if you go to the bathroom or or you can't get a drink or when you come in, you know the way you enter the venue with the box office situation, any of those things goes off, you you go off you know and there's so much flying around intensity i think people are more susceptible to being when i say go off it's like then it's harder to get to that magic place right right? you want everything to go right in your experience so that the music can take over if that makes sense
0: it totally (laughs) makes sense and and it, it brings to mind you you someone described you once uh as a as a guest at your own party you you think like an audience member clearly, and you can feel that through the book. I think it's got to be one of the main things that separated your venues from other ones for me is that it feels like it was designed with the audience in mind. They're wonderful.
1: Yeah, the audience is me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love going to shows. Well, I've been to all the venue. You know, I've been to every state in America. I used to love going to shows, traveling, road tripping uh who wouldn't who doesn't love to this one reason i did the cap it's like i believe that when you get an artist like bob dylan people would travel from far away to see their favorite band at their favorite venue because i did that <laughs> i do that so and that's not that hard i don't think it's rocket science. you know i don't deserve an award by doing what's just obvious. you know it's just like you know so um the the Brooklyn Bowl thing was a little bit outside. You know, most people are like, you're this is you are you okay? I just showed the <laughs> and this is talked. I talk, tell this story, I think, in the book. Ron Delsner, who's like the greatest, li- you know, living promoter, you know, and, and been around since, you know, doing Beatles shows in the 60s and done everything in between. I showed him, he's 85, you know, he's been around. He, I showed. I, I didn't the really construction site of Brooklyn Bowl, the original one in Williamsburg, probably about fifteen years ago now, because it's open thirteen years. And and by the way, these venues all take a while to build. You know, they're all taking years. You know, you think it's X, and it's always two X <laughs> or a time. Not just money. You know, everything. Ronnie was there. Showed him I'm like here's the stage goes here's where the ga floor you know the kitchen's over here the bars over here the lanes over here and he's like yeah come here i I, we gotta talk you know at the end of the tour and by the way it's just us there you know in this twenty thousand square foot space but he's still like come here come here in the corner there's no one else there (laughs) and uh he's like "Uh, ah I, I'm worried about you like <laughs> what, what, what are you doing what the fuck is going on here like no one's gonna what are you doing you've got a goddamn fucking balling eye next to the goddamn. St- and uh I got a little scared but I but I we just thought amazing PA system we got like special machines that don't that make less noise if you put rock through there and, and by the way it's not close and we've had Guns N' Roses Robert Plant Jane's Addiction Paul Simon, Kanye West, Ade- I mean, it's crazy, but all those bands played there. Questlove, you know, 300 times and it's just working. And now it's in Vegas and Nashville and, and Philly. And, um, and a couple of keys, but we don't, have to, I don't know how much you want to get into it, but that layout enabled us the bowl. You know, well, listen, Wetlands had no other revenue streams, so basic rock club. Right. So it's not coincidence that the next thing the dude that had Wetlands created had like certain things that helped protect me from, like, when a night doesn't go well and doesn't sell a lot of tickets from just getting crushed. So like the lanes and that experience, and then we have food, you know, wetlands had none. we have air conditioning, wetlands, not really have a lot of that, you know, sight lines, visual, and a lot of it's about eye candy, my backgrounds, I love film stuff. It's really the layout of the lanes mm-hmm. is somewhat Epcot-ish IMAX, it, right? It's, it's 150 feet from your eyes and 100 feet wide, those screens, they're way down there and they're way wide. And we run, when a band's playing, like the live IMAG, it's called the image magnification of the band, like down at the end, or we're writing psychedelic videos. And that's a big part of it was that visual element that you couldn't have if you didn't have the lanes.
0: There's the roof of the cap. The ceiling of the cap is another beautiful thing you've done with the visuals. I can't remember when I noticed it for the first time. I might have been at Phil Lesh, and I looked up. I was like, oh, my God, there's another show going on.
1: We like the psychedelic, you know, trails and the visuals. And so it's all projection map. There's 10 projectors. It's really a planetarium. You know, when I first walked in the cab, I saw it. Those curved walls. And anyone's listening can Google by Capitol Theater or something, in Portchester, and look. And the images of the walls are curved. Um, By the way, that theater was built in 1926. This is a crazy thing. Thomas Lamb, who's the architect, who's really the preeminent architect in American history for these great palace theaters. He built in the 1910s and 20s, 100 of those kinds of, you know, the original Ziegfeld, the Boston Opera House. did a hundred of them today if you tried to build uh, a theater like that rock palace theater it would take you like more than five years i think and a hundred you know millions and millions and so how does someone with no email no zoom no pdf i'm not i'm serious no no blueprint i don't know how and he built how do you do that
2: magic
0: well on a uh, okay. on a similar note you have put on uh at last count in the book it's got to be more than that now more than 200 shows with Phil Lesh and you are a deadhead turned to the biggest dead related promoter in history and i wanted to ask a couple things one how do you wrap your head around uh that transition from fan to friends with the with musical heroes. Uh like do you pinch yourself? And also what do you say to the the person who's just who's embarking on a career who would never believe the fact that one day they might work with their heroes? Uh
1: two things. I I've gotten pretty good at like focusing on thinking like if I was doing a show with Phil. And where, let's say we're let's say it's this October at the cap we're playing nine shows, and over three weeks we're figuring out the lineups. Like I stay focused on like, what's the lineup going to be? What are we going to do? How do we you know, or Houseville getting there?" or what are we doing you know, and try to think about the show, but kind of not think about the show, like what it means? oh shoot, I'm doing if that makes sense. And so you stay in it. You know, so think in it, but not from far away about it. And the other, that's how I was able to, like, I made the movie with you two or you two 3D or the Fairly Well. If I sat there and be like, oh my God, I'm reuniting, grateful that, like, you'll, then you'll trip, you know, on yourself. <laughs> well, you will, or you get hit by lightning. And, and, uh, so I, I've gotten good at, like, focusing on, like, how am I going to do Fairly Well? Or how are we going to make this YouTube? Because if you sit there and think about it, I think you're screwed. Um, but, but so that I would tell people just, you know, that, you know, just, and, and, and what I would also tell a young person is like, you can do a lot of what I do have done. Anyone can do because you can put on a show in, you know, in Denver, Jacksonville, Des Moines at a bar for 50 people. And, uh, you know, uh, um, And a lot of the elements of that show that you're putting on for 50 people in downtown Des Moines, Iowa, are similar to to what you have to do for a 500 person show or 5,000 or 50,000. You know, you have to book the venue, you know, but it could be a little bar, right? If you're doing 50 people, 100 people, 100 and you have to book a band. It could be your brother's band. You're paying 50 bucks, but you still got to book the band you gotta announce the show, market the show, sell the tickets, deal with the guest list, advance the show, Um, then day of, you know, get the band in, sound check, staffing, box office, the show, the settlement after the show with the band, back to, you know, you're paying your bro 50 bucks or you're paying a band 500,000 in a stadium. Like a lot of those elements are similar you know, you might have a one security dude at the bar in Des Moines versus 500 at Soldier Field, but so anyone can go do it. I believe that. And so it just takes reps, you know, times of doing it. anything in this, you know, and um, I just started early, you know, and had this unique run of wetlands and then multiple broken balls and the festivals and the caps and the, you know, and doing shows all over the country. So now I've done 10, you know, so, and it's still hard, you know, that's why we started when you're like happy, you know, it's still hard, you know, because you, because all the details matter, everything is matters. Everything is everything. I got that in Jamaica, but, um, so that doesn't go away even though you've done it 10,000 times. So, um, you just know what to look for better and you know how to deal with it. And, and maybe when you make a phone call, it, it gets through faster. So certain things are easier, but it's, never, it's still not easy.
0: But not everyone can um, conjure a rainbow, right? So um, tell us about the rainbow conspiracy.
1: Well, so we brought the dead guys back together, all the surviving members um, in 2015. I can't believe it's seven years ago now. It's actually right now. The final night was July 5th, Mm. um, 2015. So it's seven years ago today. Um, You know, it's just this giant thing. By the way, I don't think you could do fairly well the same way today, seven years later, just because there's so much traffic in the world and social media and You know, there weren't 200 podcasts. We're doing one, 500 podcasts in 2015. You didn't have Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus the same way in 2015. Definitely not when I like opened Brooklyn Bowl in 2009. I don't think Brooklyn Bowl could be what it is today. There's too much flying around. And sorry, anyways, fairly well owned the space, like, was a big discussion thing Mm -hmm. which was awesome by the way it's part of the cool thing wasn't just a one four hour show it's like the experience of like talking about it and prepping it and talking to your friends and coordinating and doing the tour managing of like where are we meeting up and what are we that's fun Mm -hmm. people like that the back to like the cap and road people traveling to see a multi-night run you know you got people like that and uh but the fairly well thing was nuts and uh Tray from fish uh, I knew because I grew up going to fish and a dad. I just knew putting it together would be like one plus one is three. Um, but it was, you know, it was a little, you know, it's a people wondering how it's going to be when the first show was in Santa Clara and right at the end of the first set, as they're finishing, um, by Lee blues an amazing rainbow, it wasn't even raining fully. Totally. The sky was one of those purple skies. It was like moisture in the air but it was not raining and um an amazing i mean people are listening you can just google grateful dead rainbow and and uh <laughs> it's a full on <laughs> rainbow came out and and no one could believe to the point that like i watched it with trixie garcia jerry's daughter and i was like that's your dad, right? <laughs> she's like, Yep. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, uh it was it was so kind of perfect that some people were like, yo, dude, that's not possible to be, you know, you, did you pay for that? You made that. And I swear, and a friend of mine, Shirley Halper and a billboard was like, come on, dude. And she, I think she was in a good place in her mind, in zoned, and, and so she was, come on, you man. I'm like, no, I didn't. Come on. It's a rainbow. You can't make a rainbow. Like, come on. And and after a few times, she kept poking me. I was like, okay, I spent 50 grand.
2: I know a guy. <laughs> got a rainbow. And guy. I know a guy.
1: Exactly. I, got a, I had a guy. Yeah. 50 grand. And then, so she reviewed the story. I was kidding. But right? in her review that night at the end, she's like, there's rumors, baby. Pete Shapiro spent 50 grand on a guy. And that ran. And I guess at that point, like Reuters picked up Bill. And we went to bed. Um, and when we woke up the next morning, it had been picked up like all globally about the, the con- whether it was real or not. <laughs> I swear.
2: You might remember this. <laughs> Back in the day, I mean, way before social media and the internet and, and so on. I think it was the summer of 90 summer of 93, uh, three shows at Cal Expo and three shows at shoreline that I was at. And one of them, it hadn't rained in like that part of California for, I don't know, months. And after drums, they sort of did a rain dance and it actually rained a little bit (laughs) and, you know, and it's just a big open field. So, you know, like soaked the audience and then after the rain went away in the sky, there was a sort of Jerry faced cloud and someone yelled, Hey, look, Jerry's in the sky. And the entire audience looked up and started remarking on like the Jerry cloud in the sky.
1: I believe that.
2: Awesome moment. Awesome moment.
1: I do. I Weird things like uh, we figured out Phil when, when it was his 79th uh, birthday at the cap. he's 82 now we were like we should count how many shows he's done at the cap you know since we reopened it in 2012 and we counted it up and it was 79 at that point we've done more now but um that's you know on his 79th birthday <laughs> he was playing the 79th show <laughs> and like if you had planned that over 10 years which we did it over or eight nine years you you couldn't plan yeah one of them would
0: have gotten canceled or something so that's <laughs> That makes us keep
1: going though, really, as in these times. It's like a little bit of that is a lot. And that's why people love that band, the Grateful Dead Experience is like, because it wasn't always great, you know, but when it was, they, it was of the moment and had that magic. And, uh, it's great to go see, I just saw Paul McCartney the other night. It's great. Amazing. But he's playing the same set. If you ever seen him, it's very similar like there's just something about you know with the dead and, and now there's a ton of offshoot bands and multiple generations who go off into that but that and that's why i did the wetlands thing when you know it was in 1996 garcia just passed away in august of 95 and i just knew like people weren't going to just give up going to shows just because their favorite band uh now was you know gone they would. Pivot to like new things, but the the core element of like shaking it loose and looking for magic and that kind of nature of like culture and spirit wouldn't fade. They they'd look for new bands, and that was the whole. Then it became the whole jam. That's why I was like, I want to be in the middle of that. And Wetlands was in the middle of that. New York, you know, and so that led to the birth. Really, it's kind of wild if you think about it. That Jerry's death did open up opportunity led to uh, you know for a whole kind of ecosystem of mm-hmm. new
0: bands right like j rad and circles around the sun you put on that uh, tribute to neil Casal. so another thing you provide like it's yeah. it's it's not just a venue you are part of you are deep in that community
1: yeah and it broadens like billy strings and goose and or the 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 string is and the umpries and the Bisco biscuits or the sound tribes you know the, the uh there's all types of some are more electronic some are a little more bluegrass what philly strings is doing is really cool obviously some are more grateful dead you know pure j-rad who's reinvented those songs and then circles which doesn't play grateful Dead but has really evokes that sensibility musically mm-hmm and you know who we justin kreutzman bill's son and i had they started you know from doing a separate music right at Fairly, right.
0: right that box set highway butterfly is great i just got that recently it's amazing i didn't know what a great songwriter neil, yeah, was.
1: neil was a great yeah i've been i mean yeah there's that's sad that he's not with us right now such a talent
0: you've got There's so much stuff in your book that's like, there's great anecdotes, but there's great also lessons, life lessons and stuff. And one of my favorite ones was you said, no's lead to yeses. Often can't get to a yes until you've had a few no's. Sometimes it's just about building awareness for what you're doing. And the example you you put there was you asked Dylan's manager to play the first new year's at the cap and they got back to you and said, no, they can't do it. And then they came back to you and said, how about we have Dylan open the venue um, instead. And so you wouldn't have got there had you not asked for the other thing. I was at that show. Thank you. um, And it's, I think that's a huge lesson for people just keep pushing, right. And don't get, don't get dissuaded or discouraged by no's because it's part of life. Yeah. It's,
1: I mean, they're still hard when I get them and you get them. We each get them and like you got to push through, you know, but often a a good yes is not possible without a no. And and you just told that story there. we would not have gotten Dylan to open the venue if we hadn't chucked the idea of playing New Year's and they said no, you know, but then, you know, it's so it it, it doesn't always obviously lead to a yes, (laughs) but a lot of things I've had happen you know started with and you know is there's like good no's and everyone out there you know you guys know what that is when you're like okay i but there but at least you got no conversation and like you're definitely further along your net positive versus just not having made the ad not having gotten to no. know yeah there are good no's there's that's for sure and then it's when figuring out how best to like you know, work around that now, <laughs> you know, when you want to be a, your weight, you aggressive, like, and that's a big part of it all. It's like that touch, you know, it gets easier as you've done it. Like we talked about the reps and you also, you know, with the rep or doing it comes, you know, people, you know, you did it with people or the managers or the bands are all my friends, you know, and the agents, like when I started, it was a lot harder. Right. And for me at least because i didn't know and that's ironic you know thing i guess just about business is it can be hardest when you're little and on your own and um once you're more established and done it and aged and experienced the relationships all that and maybe you're more scared you're a little bigger it's it's not easy ever but it's, it's certain things get easier when you just pick up the phone and call someone you know because you've done shit with them for 20 years when you're young and I took over Wetley, right. Then you are like, you really got to bring, you got to make some moves. And these kids today, they, you know, they're just going to have to like got to uh, we're counting on them. Right.
0: Right. And that's it. You got this line that says, I suppose the idea is to put in the work and let the magic come to you. Right. So that's the key wrapping up here. Um, one of the funniest lines in your book is you said, One of the most time-consuming aspects of my life is dealing with guest list requests. I have multiple shows going on simultaneously, (laughs) and people hit me up all the time. The problem is that after putting on shows in New York for over 25 years, it turns out I know more people than I know. (laughs) So is this a bad time to put in a request for tickets to the next Dylan show (laughs) at the Capitol?
1: I'm just quiet, (laughs) but I'm working on that actually. Um, I am no, no joke. I'm working on some Dylan. And by the way, I'm hopeful that I got a good no the other day (laughs) because I was working on one thing and like to get to the next thing or it happening like Dylan in particular comes maybe with a couple no's to get to a yes, but I got you for the next Dylan show. He'll be back at the cap. (laughs) trying to figure it out now hopefully you know and uh he's amazing like uh 80 years old 81 brian i think now and he at least particularly seeing him in a theater i mean that's what's great about the cap there's different ways he shows you go out big uh, outdoor shows or big indoor but like you know that's why i love the cap is is to me in a lot of ways it's like a club theater yeah you know, and it's got that benefits of the club, which are fun and moving around that GA floor we talked
0: mm-hmm. about.
1: Actually, Tedeski Trucks is a band that like loves the beacon, but one in, in almost all the in New York. So so I think, you know, luckily I have the relationship with them, but they're pretty set there. They do like five nights every fall in September. Mo they, you know, when they play Chicago Theater or they play the Fox in Oakland, pretty much I think all these venues that they play, um are fixed seating and so i really made the pitch to them and they enjoy it for this is that it is ga floor it is a bit of a club theater you know a ga show you can move around you can find your friends it's just different and they're both great you know so i made that pitch about um to counter you know the yang to the yin of the and mm-hmm. you know and uh same dylan uh i think on his last tour i
0: do back to back beacon capital i've done that twice i think
1: right so they're a little different right uh because one's seated and one's ga they're different they have pros and cons but i know he likes the ga mm-hmm. uh his guy told me that bob and and just the energy that the artist feels it's a different energy a ga show packed sold out you know it's just more there's more coming off that crowd you know than everyone's
0: sitting Absolutely. Pete, we won't take any more of your time. This has been delightful. You are indeed a merchant of happiness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for all the shows, but also this great book. Thanks Duff. Uh, listeners. Again, it's, it's called The Music Never Stops. It's out now. Check it out. It's a great book.
1: Thanks, Duff. I appreciate it. Thanks. Man. Yeah. Thanks
0: for joining us, Pete. Great talking to you. Okay, so that did not disappoint Pete Shapiro. Everyone loves Pete Shapiro, and now you, uh, anyone who was listening to that, knows why. Not only does he uh, put on uh, some of the best music, not just in New York, but around the country, he's a fucking awesome dude, yeah. right? You can tell just by talking to him. What and also, he's such an inspiration for me. From like anyone who wants, if you love something. If you love something enough, you can make it your career. You can make it what you do. You can immerse yourself in the thing that you love. All you have to do is put in the work and the determination and the effort. And you know, the next thing you know, you go from being a deadhead in college. He's younger than we are. He's a couple of years younger than we are. You go from being a deadhead in college who's following the dead around, making a like a gonzo documentary, about the parking lot, the deadhead culture in the parking lots, mm-hmm. uh, to 20 years later, reuniting the dead and putting on like one of the biggest dead shows of all time at Soldier Field. It's unbelievable. It's incredible.
2: It really is. So cool. Um, I just also like when you guys were talking about, um, you know, the sort of uh, obviously it's like a spiritual experience seeing, seeing music. And I, I have uh, a buddy guy, Sully, that I coach with here, Andrew Sullivan, who went down on his own to two dead and co shows in May. I'm going to say November of last year, he went down to Texas and saw like Dallas and Houston or something like that. Or Santa, I think it was Dallas and Houston. And I was like, wow, just going down on your own. He was like, I was like, that's, that's pretty, pretty crazy little solo trip. And he was like, it's my therapy.
0: So that, right. And that's the other thing. We didn't really get into that. Like the music <laughs> that he sort of specializes in, yeah. right, is the jam band, yeah. the sort of improvisational uh, uh, heavy guys. And what he alluded to there a couple of times was that that's where your most the most magical musical experiences come from is with the people who aren't just playing the same set list yeah. uh, the same way and that are pushing the boundary Uh, every show they do. That's why, you know, Phil Lesh can play 10 shows in a row every fall at the cap and people will go to all of them.
2: Well, that's how you get a following too, where people will follow you around. Nobody's going to follow around a musician who plays a set set list the exact same way every single night. Right. I mean, you might go to a couple, you might go to back to back or be a super fan and go to a few, but after a while you've seen the show. Whereas right. with like the jam bands where it's improvisational, it's, you're seeing a different show every time. So,
0: and, uh, so for,
2: for any music fans
0: who are listening, the book is amazing and it's got so many stories that it'll blow your mind. Check out the book. It's about putting on 10,000 shows, but it'll blow your mind. How many big name, uh, artists, uh, Pete Shapiro has not only worked with, but has, um, you know, been in effective partnership with for 20 plus years. I think it makes him a different from most music promoters, right. Especially for the corporate ones, right. Where the, all they're doing is trying to sell tickets at a venue. And he has, um, fostered, uh, an entire culture, especially in New York between the Capitol and Brooklyn bowl. Uh, people feel like family there. I have friends that, um, are literally part of that family that have been to dozens, if not hundreds, of shows mm-hmm. because of the ethos that um, he's created. The man knows how to make rainbows. Like, what else do you need to know?
2: Yeah. I've got one for you. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty... It's a, 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 it's a little bit of a, uh, an, an easy one for this show, but grateful. And it's probably obvious to most people because it's what it means. But, you know, the great in grateful... Right, Gra- Gratte, like comes from from gratitude, right? Like mm. it's yeah, like literally to be full of gratitude. But it's also and and if you think in um, in Italy, even you know, thank you is is grazie, right? Grazie is Italian, so it's the it's, grazie it's,
0: dead. Let's go see the grazie
2: dead. The grazie dead. And but the interesting thing when I look this up is that it's also related to grace, right? Like the grazie grace. Mm-hmm. God's grace. Um, I don't know. I thought you might do something with that, Def.
0: Totally. Pete <laughs> Shapiro's doing God's work, right? He's, he's, it, like he said, there's, there are moments when you are at a show of an artist that you love where you have a transcendent experience, right? And we're not talking about being on drugs. We're talking about being uh, caught up in the music uh, and it takes you to a different place, it takes you into the realm of the spirit. So absolutely. And, you know, the whole scene around him is dedicated to that. We just bought tickets to see the National at uh, the Capitol in September. When I lived in the city, Brooklyn Bowl was my favorite venue, especially when I lived in Williamsburg. So it was mm-hmm. down the street. Yeah, But uh, these days, uh, the Capitol is my favorite music venue of all time. He's done a ridiculous job restoring it. And plus it's just so many great shows there. All right. I have one for you too. If this one's a little unusual as uh, a bit of a mind bender, but I read it this weekend and I just want to talk about it. Um, so I'm, on the weekend I was reading the Upanishads, which is like part of India's scriptural heritage, the, a translation by this guy, Swami Nikola And he pointed out the following. He had this line. And it was sort of in the context of you know the different followers of different religions and and what it means, and he said, "How can the rational mind say that one idea is intrinsically different from another? Krishna, Buddha, and Christ are but waves on the infinite ocean of existence. I am. They all contain the same stuff as their inner core. So I was thinking about that. I was like, "Wait, what does that mean?" <laughs> and he's basically getting at what are ideas actually made of, right? What is, what is an idea at the very bottom of it, right? It's electricity? basically, is it electricity? it's like a vibration and consciousness, <laughs> right? Something like that. So, so they're all actually made of the same thing. So who is to say that one idea is better than another because ultimately they're all the same thing at their core? Right. So it got me thinking. I was like, oh, wow. OK, so in the West, we run around, you know, claiming to have better ideas than the other people. And sort of it's so misguided because they're, they're all made of idea stuff, which is the same stuff. So it's all, it's all one thing. Right. Just brings you back to that. It's all one thing. There's only one thing. Right. That's it. Uh, and what <laughs> what Pete Shapiro will get, do is t- if you go to one of his sh- venues and, um, get into the music, you will find that one thing and you will go to that place. That is why people see live music. That is why, um, you know, you, me, and so many of our friends keep going and going and going and going to see live music because it's transcendental when it's on to further the sort of, um, move into mind bendery um, I want to close with the Bindo here that's um, sort of touches on one of my favorite lines in the book which I mentioned there was he says I try to keep in mind that everything is everything right and that basically means you got to pay attention because it's all happening right now so Bindo is describing in this section the absolute right absolute reality God the Lord whatever you want to call it And he's basically trying to, to, um, he's writing a sentence, which is trying to get the point across that it's not just this, it's not just that it's this, that, and all the other stuff. So here he goes. The absolute is beyond personality and beyond impersonality. And yet it is both the impersonal and the Supreme person and all persons The Absolute is beyond the distinction of unity and multiplicity, and yet it is the one and the innumerable many in all the universes. It is beyond all limitation by quality, and yet is not limited by a qualityless void, but is to all infinite qualities. It is the individual soul and all souls and none of them. It is the formless Brahman and the universe. It is the cosmic and the supracosmic spirit, the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Self, the Supreme Purusha, and the Supreme Shakti, the ever-unborn who is endlessly born, the infinite who is innumerably finite, the multitudinous one, the complex simple, the many-sided single, the word of the silence ineffable. So, pretty much everything. You follow that?
2: Most things. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that he hasn't encompassed in that.
0: It's all the things, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thanks again, Pete Shapiro, for all that you do. That was a great interview. We'll be back with you, folks, next week.
2: Bye bye. After present moment, traveling town to town, mystery of the motion, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts Stuff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16 part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen, with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck Labella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C-Media.com.
1: My love, my dear.